The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, everybody, before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, if you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratifications of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports WFS on Owner's Box. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly Fantasy Sports is the best of daily and season long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will also be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to uh, up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first time deposit of up to $500 for any depositors through January 4th. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $500 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Now, to this episode of Benched with Bubba. Back everybody to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode sixty-seven. We're going to talk about our current uh, battle of the podcast leagues. Lots of fun there. We are currently in round thirty-two, or down to the one-minute clock instead of the two-minute clock. You can find me on Twitter at BDentric and my co-host as always on Twitter at Bat Flip Crazy Toby. How we doing, man? Uh, we're doing pretty pretty well, Bubba. Um, you know, it's been a exciting. Exciting couple weeks as a uh, as a diehard Padres fan um, for many years, dating back to I don't know the '80s probably. Um, very exciting, you know, few weeks for me, especially with my boy Joey Musgrove going there. But as you can tell by um, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, you can't tell, but I'm wearing a Padres hat and a Blue Jays hat because I'm actually struggling to decide which team to root for this year. I mean. I've made, as somebody who 
um, has committed my life to fantasy baseball. I no longer really root for a single team. I think my heart kind of rests with the Mariners a little bit, like in real life. But I've decided that I'm just going to buy the hats of teams that compete, you know, that like spend money in free agency. So, I mean, the Padres, the Blue Jays are great. Thinking about getting some other hats maybe too. So everybody needs to help convince me which which fan base, fan, uh, fan base to really go with this year. So well, on, we'll see that, how it goes. On that criteria, you got to go to the White Sox then. They, they've been the most I, the third most active team. Yeah, but they also got Tony La Russa. I was going to get a White Sox hat. I had the, the hat. Well, there's a couple options for the for their White Sox hats. But, um, yeah, I, I will probably get a White Sox hat, too, as well. Um, you know, so, so uh, yeah. So we'll see. But it's good. It all is good. You know, moves are starting to happen, which is exciting. Obviously, the fantasy impact of those moves is is also really exciting. Cracking some jokes on Vlad Jr. on Twitter. You know, it's just it's a good day today. It's a good day today. Um, yes, how about you, Bubba? How are you doing? I am doing well. Just another uh, great day um, drafting and Toby bursting my my rowdy tell us bubble right before we recorded. But I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm holding I'm holding out hope there, holding out hope that that continues because uh, that's going to sting. But uh, we'll 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 talk more about stuff like that when we recap this battle of the podcast uh, league and the quick run through. I will give everybody before we actually get into this. It's uh, 15 teams. It's I, I want to say 13 podcasts, maybe 14. Cause there's a couple of duplicates. Like I know like, you and I share a show, but we have our own teams. Um, there might be actually individuals on all the other ones. So that's good. But uh, 15 teams draft champions format, 50 rounds. We're in round 31. It's uh it's pretty chaotic to say the least. Um, the term go get your guy started really early, Toby. So what were some of your like early thoughts, I guess, before we even really got cracking in the draft, like what did you think of the overall uh, league? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, first of all, thanks to, to Zach uh, Waxman um, of the D uh, of the uh, draft, champagne. Uh, draft, champagne. Champagne, draft champagne. I know I always, it's always like hard to say draft champagne um, podcast. I really appreciate him pulling it together. We had a league last year as well. Common sense fantasy. Uh, Drew Morris won that league, I believe. Um, so it was, it was, it's, I think it's fun. I mean, it's always fun when you have kind of themed leagues, you know, where, where, you know, you know, a lot of the guys who are in the league, you know, some of their drafting styles, either from being in drafts with them or from just, you know, following them on Twitter and knowing who they're, who they're interested in. Um, and so that, that piece of it is fun, but I think it's also, it's nice because I think it sets a little bit of the groundwork as we get closer to March. You know, I think the board that we saw this time around, um, I think it's pretty similar to what we, we are likely to see as we get closer to March, at least in NFBC drafts where pitching is at a premium. And so I really found it actually an incredibly helpful draft as we've gone through it to kind of think through a variety of different issues from KDS to just roster construction. So it's been it's been really fun. One thing that makes it a little different, which I actually didn't think about right at the get go, but I picked up on pretty quickly is it is a DC. It is a draft champions, 50 team or 50 player draft and hold, but it's not part of the overall competition because there's a different, it's just a $50 league, uh, $50 buy-in. So it's actually not part of the overall, which I think is important as you think about the teams and strengths and weaknesses and how balanced you need to be in different categories. Yeah, no, that's one thing I guess it helped me because I, this a is my first ever draft champions league and B I don't, playing tons of overall competitions. So um, 
I think that helped me a bit because there are a few teams in this league that uh, the jokes can make the, the people would could pay for the 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 DM the the draft DM we have. Um, I can't keep up with it. I don't think Toby can keep up with it. But there's guys in there going like twenty four seven. Um, and what I do catch is very entertaining and very knowledgeable stuff. But um, there's some of them. The the trash talking is at a peak level, very peak level. So there are apparently a couple teams that are just going for the overall. Like Matt Williams, that that's a common trend going his direction. But um, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. A little more balance makes a little more sense to me, at least. So. We'll see how yeah. that uh, how that pans out. Definitely, yeah. The chat has been something else. I've been just been dropping in occasionally just to drop some, you know, drop some not truth bombs, but just uh, you know, enter into the fray for a little bit and then then hop right out so my emotions aren't hurt too badly. <laughs> it is a wild wild west in there. So if you if you if you have thin skinned, it's probably not the best place to hang out. Let's put it that way. But uh, the other thing I will mention from that chat that's pretty cool to see is. Um, I always call him Jorge. It's George Montanez, but uh, he's uh, with uh, Mike Curlin on the Bases Loaded podcast, and um, he's he's picking second, and he's quote unquote sniping people left and right, mainly Dave McDonald, which is fun to snipe because he's the most vocal about it. Um, but apparently, Jorge is just crushing this draft, according to these guys. So I'm curious to see how that pans out. That's for sure. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of sharp folks um, in the industry. So it's been, um, it's been a lot of, it's been a lot of fun. So. Yeah. And one more thing before we get into our deal or our, our teams, it is fun because like you said, you either read these guys, you've talked to these guys, you've listened to these guys. So you kind of know how they're going to draft. Like you have Eric Cross. He, he's got his young guys like that. You expect that one to come. Simeon, he, he's got his guys. Um, you got the the Rotosaurus guys doing their thing. There's a couple curveballs here, and they're like, you know, Mason's always a, a wild card. But uh, for the most part, now that we've been drafting with him and then I've seen his boards and his other drafts, he's got a trend that I'm starting to pick up on. Matty Williams, he has his guys. Like, this is almost, or not Matty Williams, Matty Davis. It's almost identical to the Barf draft. The way he's got certain guys he has circles, you know he's going to get them all of a sudden. So it's kind of fun. It's fun to see it, but uh, there are definite curveballs that we will get into here as we break it down. All right, you had pick 14. I had pick 12. Now, this is a professional podcast, so I'm going to ask you now. Do we just want to go round by round? Do we just want to give overall thoughts of chunks of picks? How would you like to go about going over 30 picks? Because if we go pick by pick, we'll be here the entire evening. (laughs) Let's go two picks by two picks. Like just kind of what we were thinking with each each turn, because we're both kind of towards the end of the draft, you picking 12, me picking 14. So we kind of, I think in a lot of ways, when you're drafting like that, you kind of got to pick them two at a time because chances are, you know, um, you know, you got to, you, you got to get, you got to quote unquote, get your guys um, at each one of your picks. So let's think through kind of just strategy and things that we're thinking. I'm curious, you know, for you, wh- where, uh, where did 12 rank in your KDS? It was my ninth. Um, I think I talked about it on last week's show or about a different show. My KDS right now, it's one, two, three, four, five. And then it goes backwards from 15 mm-hmm. all the way down to six. So I either want like the top picks or really to try to get one of those ace, ace pitchers or put me in the back. So 12 is not my ideal pick. It's not the end of the world. Um, and it, it left me with the guy, one of the guys I love. I loved him more when the Indians weren't cheapskates, but I did land Jose Ramirez. I was kind of, I was kind of surprised that, 
uh, one of the shortstops didn't make it there. I, I could have went Lindor, but I'm not really feeling that. The the decision for me there was between J Ram and Giolito. Like those were the two I was looking at. And of course, I literally Rob DiPietro from the Pulitzer oh, podcast. He's he worst, he has taken so many picks right after I take them. Go so part of it's like okay, it's justification. At least I was on the right path. But it's like okay, maybe if you know because. I don't know who you're going to take, but I have like ideas of your bubble of what you're going to go for. So I'm kind of like, okay, I might have might have a shot to go past Toby, but Rob just snipes everything I, I think of pretty much. So Giolito, I was hoping would come back, or I was going to take him at twelve. I took J Ram. Giolito went, but it was it was a run of pitchers: Giolito, Darvish, uh, Bueller, Nola, Bauer. Those five went in the next six picks. So I landed Castillo who in other drafts I've been doing, if I'm picking like fourth or fifth, I've been getting Castillo everywhere in the second round. Now I got him at 12.4, so uh, or 2.4. So it was a very interesting uh, scenario, but I had to get one of the big pitchers because, as you'll hear, I, if I would have waited until round three for my first pitcher, I'm drafting the likes of Snell, Lynn, Gray as my number one. Don't love that. So J-Ram, Castillo, that's where I went. I got a bat I like, five-category guy. We've talked about him in-depth on this show many times. Uh, it does stink that the team's getting worse around him. He's still going to get all of their bats. He's still going to hit in the middle of the order. I think if the team's even worse, there's zero reason not to let him run. So that might actually help him a little bit if I'm looking for any kind of grain of salt there. But it was just like the bats at that point, he's still the best bat for me. And it was either between him and Giolito. Part of me thinks I should have took Giolito and maybe taken a chance on a Mondesi or Lindor the next time around. But hey, we got J-Ram, we got Luis Castillo. I don't hate the start. So what about you? Definitely. Yeah, well, I think one thing that's super interesting that you pointed out is I think Giolito is a guy on the rise. It's hard. It's funny to say that. Like, and I know, I think we've mentioned this on podcast before, but I really see by the time March rolls around, I think he's going to be firmly entrenched as the number four um, pitcher. And I was actually hoping to get Giolito at 14 uh, prior to this draft in the draft champions, the earliest that Giolito had gone was 14. And so Rob DiPietro, who has also been a thorn in my side throughout the draft, uh, you're not alone there. Um, he, he drafted Giolito at 13. I went Darvish at 14. You know, Darvish had been my, my number four, but I just, I don't know. The, I just think that Giolito, it's hard to poke holes in what Giolito has been able to do in the last year and a half. And so, um, and I think the strikeout numbers could be, could be phenomenal. I think the division is, is, um, is, is better. And obviously I'm not weighing these things a lot, but I think when you're kind of tied on two guys, I think um, it, it's reason to, um, to maybe lean one direction or the other. So I was actually hoping to get Giolito, but not bummed out to get Darvish. I know folks have questions about injury around Darvish. Obviously he's been healthy the last um, year and a half, and he's been very good for the last year. I think the cutter is really a game changer. And when you look at his repertoire, it's deep. Um, and every pitch, you know, generates a good amount of swings and misses. The velo is there. Everything that you want in a starting pitcher is in a good situation. So I felt good about Darvish, although I did want to start with, with Giolito. Um, and then going around, I definitely wanted to do pocket aces. I think I've talked before on the show before how I'm, I'm, I lean more heavily towards pocket aces when I'm drafting towards the back end. Um, and with my KDS, this was actually, I think, my sixth. I think I started off like with five, six, and then I went 
four, three, two, one, or something like that, because I really want to get one of those three studs. I'd prefer to get Garrett Cole or Jacob deGrom, but, um, and then Nola, I don't have any, um, I don't have Nola on any teams. And so I kind of leaned him. Um, although, you know, Bueller would have been the only guy that I was probably considering here too. I do like Nola a lot. You know, he doesn't have the fastball maybe that other guys have, but with the pitch mix change that we've talked about, the curveball and the changeup and just the heavy usage of both of those pitches generates a ton of ground balls, always among the league leaders, um, you know, in terms of like both CSW and um, hit, hit the percent of pitches that are balls, you know, so two of the leading indicators for both strikeouts and, and, and control. I really like that start as well. Um, and I really like when you're drafting towards the end there, you really have the opportunity to get some very good hitters um, coming back around. And so with that, you know, I'll turn it over to you for your, for your number three and number four picks. Yeah, it was just wild. Like I knew pitching would go quick, but uh, that, that turn pretty much shows you everything you need to see. And then, you know, one, two, three, four, six, eight more guys go after Castillo. It's, it was pretty wild. But my three, four, I finally have a share of Eloy Jimenez. I honestly, in this chat room or in this draft room, I know how much Eloy is loved by this chat, this draft room. I was shocked he made it back to me. I, I really, really was. I figured, nah, whatever. When I saw him there as one of the quicker picks I made the entire draft, I was like, oh, okay, I will take that in two seconds. Let's go. Um, I, we don't have to elaborate on him too much. We talked about him in the outfield preview. The power, um, pretty decent average for a big guy that's in the middle of the order, a great lineup to be in. Like, there's, He's not going to steal a ton of bags, but I tried to address that later in my draft. So uh, what Eli brings to the table, I'm all aboard there. And um, coming on the wraparound for my fourth pick, I got my second pitcher, who's a guy I've been targeting quite a bit. And it'll be interesting. It's Sonny Gray. And I love Sonny Gray. It's going to be interesting. Does Sonny or Luis Castillo get traded? Which one of the two? Or do I have two reds? The Great American Small Park, two to three times a week. That's going to be exciting. But um, Sonny Gray, I, I just love what he's doing there in Cincinnati. He's got his, his pitching guy. Um, strikeouts are there. Ratios are there. I think with Castillo and Gray, for not getting – Two pitchers, and like say the like pocket aces in the first two, but getting two guys in the first four, pretty happy with the way that panned out. So uh, Eloy and Gray, so I have uh, two bats, two two uh, arms through four. I think it's got a pretty solid base to what I need to go with my team. So I was actually pretty happy with that three four turn that I did not think was going to happen that way. Definitely, and some some interesting, you know, some other interesting trends just to that I noticed is. I think this is the year that kind of JTR, JT Realmuto's price is going to reflect pretty close to to what, you know, how, how good he really is. Because I'm starting to see him right there at the 2-3 turn, so right around pick 30. Barely after that, in our draft, he went at 28 um, to Drew Morris, who also had him last year, uh, I think, when he when he won. So that's really interesting to me, as well as Rafael Devers. I think the early season discount has pretty much disappeared on him. And I've started to see him going earlier on in the, in the third round as well, which is fascinating just because I think, you know, the guys that kind of get pushed further down. One thing I do think is kind of a challenge when you're drafting towards the turn there. Um, you know, so in my in, in, with my third pick, I picked up Whit Merrifield, who I do like a lot. I was down on him last year for sure. You know, the price was driven up based on the previous season. And I just wasn't sure if the speed was going to return, but it, 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 it returned in abundance last year. And so I'm less concerned about that. 
You know, there's no concerns around Matheny not running him. I just think that's part of that team's identity now. And we didn't see we didn't see a drop off there. The contact skills remained in place. So you're talking about a, an elite batting average, elite stolen bases. And then, you know, you should get a decent number of runs coming from him. The RBIs and the home runs aren't necessarily going to be great. But one of the things around this 3-4 turn, I think, is there is while I think there's a lot of really good hitters, you know, a lot of the guys that go um, traditionally, right? So normally around here, based on ADP, you're looking at Devers, you're looking at Arenado, you're looking at Bogarts, uh, you're looking at Rendon, Jimenez, uh, Bregman, guys like that, Abreu, Albies. So, um, you know, there isn't a ton of speed necessarily there. There's some really good hitters, but not necessarily speed. So I was I was glad to get Merrifield. I was thinking about going, uh, starting out with Witt and then going with Starling Marte, but he went on the turn. So Alex Bregman fell to me, which I'm, I'm always super happy to get there. Obviously doesn't bring the speed, but the batting average is there. I think this past year was a fluke. And so pretty happy through four, just have really solid offensive guys, a pretty balanced approach uh, in general. Uh, and then I've got my two aces as well. Um, what did you feel about your, your picks five and six? I like the point you made about the steals. And that's kind of, I think, drives back the point if you're not going pocket aces early. That's why I think I went with a J-Ram over the Giolito at that time going, okay, worst comes to worst, I got a 20 to 25 stolen base guy here. And he should still hit for like decent power and whatnot because um, there is that gap of speed unless you go and take Alberto Mondesi. But now he's up to the middle of the second round in our draft. So he's not going to be in the round three anymore and stuff like that. So you'll get your your speed guys later like we'll talk about. But to get that kind of elite five category guy, you need to get him early. Otherwise, you get really good four category guys. There's no doubt about that. Like Eloy. But uh, yeah, J-Ram, I think it kind of helps justify my thought process there. But for five, six, like you mentioned, um, still just more pitchers flying off the board. We got a couple closers or, or at least uh, Chapman's off the board. Now the first closer goes in the middle of round five. Uh, Yoan Moncada is up to middle of round five. Now. I don't know if that was uh quote unquote, you know, experts draft because we've seen a lot of guys starting to write about the uh, price tag on Moncada being wrong, but that stinks for a guy like me. that has been pounding that table for a long time. Cause now I'm going to have to actually, pony up instead of enjoy the discount there. But for my five, six, we talked about it on the shortstop podcast. It's like shortstop super deep, but you get to a certain spot and you're like, I need one of these guys. So I grabbed hobby bias. Um, it was that it was like that or Bray Swanson gets back to me in seven, eight, which he wouldn't have. He went in six or it's roll the dice and go to Simeon. But it was already at the point in round five where you were getting sniped left and right, which Technically, you could have had the pick by then, but it's one of those where you're looking at you, you're not you know succumb to ADP, but you're using it kind of as a reference, and you got guys getting jumped pretty high. So I jumped on Javi Baez. I, I'm, a, I'm a believer in the uh, the bounce back ability. Uh, five category contributors stills aren't as great as they once were, but they're still there. I think we've both agreed the Cubs will be much better than they were last year. That was just a bad bad season. So I went and got Javi to, to give me my third bat and another. Pretty close to five category guy. And then on my sixth pick, I got my third pitcher. And I'm a big Zach Wheeler fan. I know there's controversy with Zach Wheeler um, in the industry. What I wanted was Dylan Bundy, but he went on the turn to to, um, to Govier. He went, he went early, too. Yeah, I figured I mean, I, Compared to where he goes traditionally in ADP. 
that's kind of where I was like thinking, okay, he'll come back to me. That that was the whole thing where all of a sudden I'm starting to be like, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to start taking guys. Like, this is ridiculous because I haven't seen a draft where Bunny's gone that high. But um, so I went with Wheeler because after Wheeler, it's like Jesus Lazardo, which we've talked about the concerns there. Sandy Alcantara is cool, but like strikeout upside with Wheeler is there. Like I can get, I can't get the overall package of Alcantara, but I can get lower strikeout guys that can eat up innings later. Um, it was just a weird dynamic. Yes, some close, Ian Anderson, Julio Urias, Zach Greinke. So Wheeler stands out to me as like I want to get that guy as my third pitcher. So um, I didn't get three and five rounds. I got three and six rounds. And I'm totally fine with that. Um, I've seen some guys actually start doing drafts with not taking a lot of pitching early at all, and I'm starting to be okay with it if if you're aggressive to get the other pitchers you need. But uh, I'm not always that aggressive, so this strategy works for me. So Baez and Wheeler, give me my five, six, three pitchers, three bats. You're gonna there's a trend. Uh, Toby used it in his uh, team uh, example. I, I go balanced. Uh, that's most of my team. I, I I may never be built to win an overall title. Let's just put it that way, because I, I, I'm not that kind of aggressive drafter. But uh, through six, that's where I stand. What about your next two picks? Yeah, so I think this is where it got. It gets really interesting for me, because I think I would I really liked drafting towards the back end of the draft, because, you know, coming into, so we're now into rounds five and five and six. And, you know, I really like drafting my third starting pitcher, like in round seven and eight or so, um, because I, generally speaking around pick 105, there are a number of really solid folks. If you go by ADP, you know, you have Zach Granke, you have Pablo Lopez, even Dylan Bundy. He's going by ADP a little bit earlier than that right now. But um, but, you know, I have seen him fall that far and I've gotten him around there. But with starting pitching being moved up so, so dramatically um, in this draft, all of those guys went before pick 105. And even the guys who go uh, after those guys um, also got pushed up a little bit. And so it was interesting because at that, at that five, six pick, you know, I was thinking like, you know, I kind of wanted to, I wanted to take a chance and see if a Zach Granke or, you know, a Dylan Bundy or somebody like that would have made it, made it back to me. But, um, and so I went with Salvador Perez, I think another great you know, example of catchers being underrated. Um, Perez has been solid throughout his career. The batting average hasn't been what it has been, you know, what, what it was last year. And I don't anticipate that it's going to be as good. But for a catcher, you know, it's still well above league average. The power's always been there. Uh, the RBIs have always been there. Um, and I think they'll continue to be there sitting batting in the middle of the lineup with those guys stealing bases in front of him. And so the runs, you know, they're probably not going to be, um, they're not going to be that great, but I think for a catcher, I feel really good about him being my, uh, being my catcher one. So I was excited to see him fall here, but it's not, it's not a great part of the draft in the sense that the guys that I like, I feel like I'm not necessarily getting the same, uh, you know, uh, value that I do later on, later getting them on. I know there's a lot of conversations about the word value, but in terms of what, what the cost is that I have them worth versus, or the price I have them worth, you know, versus, you know, where they're going in the draft, you know, for instance, Jeff McNeil goes at the five, six turn right there. And I don't mind that pick at all because I think batting average is, is, is king and McNeil, especially if he bats towards the front end of that lineup, I think he's going to do, really well for himself, but he's also a guy that, you know, that goes, you know, from an ADP's perspective in like, you know, early, early nineties, mid nineties. 
And I'd much rather grab him kind of there than have to, you know, pick him earlier on because you really do. While it's like, of course, you're going to pick the guy that you like the most and ADP is just a guide. It, it doesn't feel as good drafting them, you know, early on, but I was excited that Glaber Torres made it to me. Surprisingly, I have him on a bunch of teams this year. He just seems like one of those guys that, um, that drops, you know, and, and I don't know whether it's a consistent ADP theme or not, but I'm really excited to get him there. One thing that I'm trying to focus on a little bit more early on in drafts, I think I've been hyper-focused on batting average and stolen bases in the past, which I think is important. Oops, I've lost my earpiece here. I think that's really important, but I also think that I maybe in, in prioritizing those pieces in previous drafts, I've taken a, maybe a little bit too risky of players in this portion of the draft. And so getting a guy in Torres who I think you know was clearly injured and not himself last year, still very young in the relative middle of that Yankees lineup. I think he's going to be have a high batting average. I think he's going to um, hit for home runs. He's going to hit for power. He's going to get runs in RBI. And then the steals, you know, he's projected for five or six, which which is fine. You know, it's not necessarily actively hurting me the same way that Perez's zero is. And so I don't mind doing that because I really do think there are some nice speed threats, you know, from picks 100, uh, 160, 170. Uh, that that can help fill some some speed needs for folks. So that's kind of how I felt um, going through six. I felt really good about the draft. I feel like each one of my picks um, felt solidly as part of a fan, of a plan and, and felt pretty stable. Although I do think that you know in the next piece of the draft is really where I really started to rethink kind of KDS and my KDS strategy and thinking about where guys may go in subsequent drafts. And as we get closer to March and starting pitching and relief pitchers push up, you know, um, whether I really like being in this part of the draft as much as I do earlier on in the draft. So, um, but that's kind of how I felt. I felt really good after those first six rounds. How about you? Yeah. A couple of things you mentioned there. Um, Catchers. I was actually surprised how kind of, gentle the drafting on catchers was for a while i figured they'd two catchers in a dc format might get pushed up a little more no it did not that was good to see um and then the relief pitchers it was weird like some like the for sure guys went early then it's kind of like a, a waiting pattern right now so like when the kirby yates news hit he got picked like immediately so it's, it's been a weird weird go but we'll talk about that in a minute because that affects my team um rounds seven and eight now now we got one of Bubba's team Bubba picture. Tommy Pham joins the club. I'm always a Tommy Pham guy. Um, you know, I, I keep preaching Tommy Pham over Trent Grisham. He's 40 picks later. He was 42 picks later in this draft. Nothing against Trent Grisham, but very similar production, if not better, potentially a lot later in the draft. That's the way I view it, at least. Uh, so Tommy Pham giving me another speed guy. And this is, again, why when I took uh, Eloy, I was not worried. Um, I, I have a few guys that I, I, I like to target for the speed later. And Tommy Pham is one of them I've circled in a lot of drafts. So I grabbed him literally could have 20, 20 upside. If things click, you know, there are injury concerns. I'm not going to deny that, but in that San Diego lineup, if they keep hitting them second. That's going to be a force there. So big fan of him. And then uh, I went and grabbed my first catcher in uh, the round eight spot. Like you took the second catcher off the board and then on the turn, Will Smith, and Wilson Contreras went in two of the next three picks. So I'm sitting there looking at this going, okay, draft champions, there's no there's no fab. You need to start at least two. You probably need to carry four to five. That's been a discussion of late. You Probably four at least to feel comfortable. 
And I'm like, I'm going to go get a guy. I'm going to get to It's not my normal forte, but I went and got Yasmani Grandal. I know he's got a spot in your heart for his home run. He hit late last season. Another oh, reason yeah. to get a white. Another reason to get a white, white Sox hat. Yeah, Where is another, another reason to get a White Sox hat. Um, but like the batting average is always a concern with him. We've seen him have good averages, low averages. But what isn't a concern is the powers there. He'll toss in a couple steals here, not a ton. You're not you're not, you're not drafting him for that. But the powers there, he's going to be hitting in the middle of that White Sox order, probably fifth ish, sixth maybe, which is still very good in that order. Um, he can play first base on occasion. He can play DH on occasion. He's one of those catchers we talk about that he doesn't have to play just when he catches, which is always nice because Edwin's not there. Remember last year when they signed Yasmani? We're all excited, like, oh, he's going to play first base, Braille DH or Hill DH. Yeah. And then, like, we're thinking, like, he might play 155 games or something. Like, it's going to be sweet. And then they went inside Edwin. Edwin's not there anymore. Like, we can go back to that storyline potentially. And, and at least it's in the discussion. So, I was like, I'm going to get Yasmani. It gives me one solid catcher, and I can build from there. So I was happy with this uh, part of the draft here, going Tommy Pham, getting my guy, five-category outfielder, and then Grandal, a very strong catcher, in my opinion, to kind of get the, the that spot going on the roster. So I enjoyed the 7-8 spot actually quite a bit there. For sure, yeah. And, and kudos on that Grandal pick. I really do like that. I know it's earlier than his, but, you know, based on my my prices, I, I have him as um, – you know, being well worth worth that even, um, you know, that's still a, that's still a steal based on the the value I have him returning uh, based on projections. So for me, this was an interesting part. I mean, I'm not a I'm for people who have followed the podcast for a while. I've never been a Goldie fan necessarily, a uh, big Goldie fan just because of the decreasing speed. But um, the cost right now is just. I mean, I think it's 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 Sorry. ideal. I mean, yeah, I mean, just in the sense that, like, I mean, he, there hasn't been really much skill regression that we've seen. We've seen some results regression, right? He's not getting the same results. But I think if you look kind of under the hood, like the metrics are supporting, you know, additional power. He's one year off of whatever, 34 home runs or whatever it was that he hit. He's going to be in the middle of that Cardinals lineup. And while it's not going to be the greatest lineup in the world, you know, hitting third or fourth in uh, – in, um, you know, in any lineup is a nice place to be. And then when you combine that with the skills that I think he still possesses, I think I, I, I like that pick right there. Although I do like some some first baseman going later there. And then Altuve, this is the first time I've drafted Altuve, which is surprising because I think he's a tremendous, um, uh, he's, a tr- he's, he's tremendous at the cost that he's going at right now, I think. And, you know, I think we're really putting way too much stock in, in 2020 and, I've talked a couple times on the podcast that if you combine his postseason stats with his regular season stats, you know, it changes the narrative a little bit. And the the Astros are still going to have a really good top half of the lineup. So I just think he's he's really good. And so right here, even though I already had Merrifield um, at second base, I just felt like at this point I kind of decided because my traditional SP3 targets that go around this spot were already gone. You know, I just, you know, I considered Gaussman. I considered, um, well, I didn't really consider Musgrove going <laughs> way too early. Um, I considered some of those guys. I even considered Lamette a little bit just because he had fallen so far in this draft. But I just felt like the difference between those guys and maybe some of the guys that I could get around pick 180 or so just wasn't as significant as the difference in, in some of the hitters and the foundation that I could build you know, on the team. And so I ended up going Goldie and, and Altuve here, you know, making it the the 2016 all-star team. Um, 
right now, but I felt really, I felt really good about the base of, of the offense that I was building. And since it isn't an overall, I felt a little bit less pressure to really, you know, kind of add on. And in the past with the pocket aces strategy, I've talked about, you know, the, the fact that you really do need to hammer home, you know, a number of hitters in a row. And so like last year in some of the mains, I think, you know, my, my SP three was like Joe Musgrove at, at around pick 180, 190. And so I, do, I don't feel terrible about doing that. I do want to have that third starting pitcher in there, but given it isn't an overall, I didn't feel as much pressure to do that. And so I went with those guys. I was a little sad to see Wilson Contreras and Yasmani Grandal go there. I was hoping that either one of them or Dalton Varsho would get to me um, in the ninth. Um, you know, I, I do like all three of those guys just because I think, you know, with Varsho, I don't think he needs to play a full season to return the value. If you look at his projection right now, it's for 400 plate appearances, you know, and, and, and it, uh, you know, if he meets that projection, which I think is like 13 home runs and 10 stolen bases, then, you know, he's, he's about the 120th ranked player on my spreadsheet. So I still think he returns it there. And then you get to supplement that with another catcher that you can pick later on as a solid catcher three. But, you know, I was hoping that either Wood Contreras or Grandal might get back to me in round nine and 10, but that wasn't to be. So it, it reminds me first on Varsha, there was news that came out today that uh, he might start in Reno this year, which mm-hmm. is interesting. So that's something to keep an eye on because they said it. And I, I like what they said is they only want to keep him up. If he gets every day at bats. So that's good. You don't want to waste a young prospect just sitting on the bench. So something to keep in mind for those drafting Varsho, keep an eye on that. Um, it reminds me now when I saw the rest of the Rizzo, Goldschmidt, Altuve picks there, I mentioned it to Grandall because the catchers were going, which was true. Like that really forced me to take him. But I remember when I was taking Fam, like I was taking Fam the whole time, but I had the idea in my head that Rizzo, Goldie, or Altuve would make it back to me because they're the boring mm-hmm. but good players. I didn't have a second baseman yet, didn't have a first baseman. Like you mentioned, there's first basements later on you like, but – I didn't want to have to be forced to take one of them if I didn't want to type thing. Like I want to, I don't want to reach for them, which I don't think I feel like I did when we get there, but I, I kind of like the idea of Rizzo or Goldie. Didn't happen. Altuve was there. Didn't happen, but Grandal, I will gladly take. Um, rounds nine and 10. Now I made one pick. I really like one pick. I like, but I, I'm not sitting easy with, let's put it that way. But um, Tommy Edmond, uh, multi-position eligibility, which I like a lot. He's the second base. We didn't get out two base. So we got Edmund in there at second base. Going to help you a little bit in every category, leading off for the Cardinals. We've talked about all those goodies there. And um, basically by the end of round 10 or 11, I feel like I've already locked up what I need for stolen bases that I don't have to focus on as much. And that was kind of a goal going into this because, you know, there's a lot of guys you can take. And I, you kind of did a lot of that too with your next few picks uh, to lock up some steals. Honestly, your next um, your round ten pick is the guy I wanted to take instead of the guy I took in round ten. But um, I'll let you discuss him in a minute. But Tommy Edmond, uh, I like that quite a bit. And then on the way back, I know I reached on him. I almost took Dylan Carlson who went two picks later, so it kind of made me feel a little justified. But what happened was after I took Edmond, I had some guys circled, steals guys. Well, Toby takes Buxton. He can talk about that in a bit. Then he takes Andres Jimenez, the guy I wanted to take. Then Victor, ah. Robles, yeah. then Victor Robles goes off the board by DiPietro, and I'm sitting there going, crap, okay. Because if you look at the next like crew of outfielders and, and a lot of other positions, there's not much steals coming off the board the next 
couple rounds. So I went and grabbed Tavares. We've talked about Leody Tavares, the upside potential there leading off for the Rangers. There's a lot of downside potential as well. Like he's a very big ceiling to floor gap player. Like that's I'm not gonna deny that at all. But the fact he's gonna be leading off on a Rangers team that should not have an excuse to bench him at all, unless he's really, really bad. I'll take my chances with that. It's a DC. The other reason, like I talked to a guy, like someone on Twitter goes, what? Like they, because the, the draft board's public. So someone said, well, what's Bubba doing taking Tavares in the 10th round? That's a, a stretch. I'm like, yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But A, this board is full of stretches. That's for sure. And B, in a 50 round draft, I feel confident I can fill stuff in later that if somehow he is tanks, I can replace him. My next pick in round 11 we'll talk about was part of the contingency plan in this in this system. So um, I took Tavares. That might not pan out. Could be great. But uh, Edmonds, Tavares gets me some speed I need and some other goodies in round nine and 10. What about you? Yeah, so for me, this was kind of interesting. I mean, I, I have never drafted Byron Buxton before, you know, um, and he fell. And obviously, like 134 is still an expensive, you know, pick. Um, to spend on Buxton. But when I just look at what he's been able to achieve, and obviously he's been injured, but whenever he's been healthy, you know, he's he's performed recently. You know, the batting average has not been a li- the liability that you might expect with some of the plate discipline issues. Obviously, it's a smaller, you know, sample. But, you know, in 295 plate appearances, 262, and 135, 254, you know, you did that have that shortened 156 in 2018, but you know it's a long time from now, and he's hitting the ball hard. Um, he's got some pop. He's still stealing bases, and while he only stole two bases last year, I just have a feeling that the Twins are going to be a little bit more active on the base pass this year, because depending on who they add via free agency or um, you know calling up, I do think that they're going to need to have a little bit more speed. They're not going to have the same power. You know, well, whether Nelly resigns or Eddie Rosario, I'm just not sure that they're going to be as um, as explosive of, of an offense as they've been in the past. And, and with that being said, I think Buxton may need to run a little bit more there. So, again, you know, uh, an interesting pick. I wanted to maybe have, you know, at least one uh, Buxton on at least one of my teams. Um, and so I, I was able to accomplish that. And I really like Andres Jimenez, who was my pick at 138. I knew he wasn't going to get back to me if I let him go, just because, you know, I know that um, I know you like him. I know that um, uh, Jake and Dave uh, really like him. So I was confident that he wasn't going to get back to me, you know, in at, at pick 164. And I love the multi-position eligibility, the second, third, short. I was hoping that Edmund made it to me. You know, as you know, I love him just like you do. Um, and, and I think Jimenez is a nice substitute for for Edmund. And in some ways, I think there's maybe a high, there's a higher ceiling just because of, um, you know, the stolen bases. Now, you know, there was a back and forth on Twitter after I made the pick about, you know, whether he's going to start the season at at uh, AAA or not, you know, for Cleveland. I don't think so, just because he's already played that one full season. Obviously, Cleveland can do what they want to do, but I still think that they want to compete. I mean, it's not like they can't compete in the AL Central still with the team that they have. Um, and he's a really good he's he's a good player. When you look at his projection, 13 home runs and 21 uh, stolen bases, I believe, is the steamer projection, and that's in only 533 plate appearances. 
which would make him the 162nd uh, most va most valuable player if he meets that projection. And so, you know, and, and so if he plays the full season, I think he beats that projection. I really do think that the speed is, is there. And I think Cleveland's going to be very active on the base pass next year. And he's got that multi-position eligibility, which is nice. And he fit a need of, for speed, you know, right there where, where I felt a little bit, I felt like I wanted to go maybe with that position flexibility over an outfield slot at that point in time. Obviously, maybe a little bit of a boomer bust pick, but I think even if he starts out in the minors, as long as he gets those 500 plate appearances, I won't be too sad, especially with the depth that I have at kind of middle infield and corner infield as we as we kind of move through. So maybe um, maybe for this one, do you want to cover like the next chunk of picks, maybe the next five picks or so that you had? Any that stood out to you as as being ideal? Because I know everybody wants to hear us go pick by pick here, but uh, maybe some some of the trends a little bit uh, more. Yeah, no, I'll just like quickly go. Like I took, a, I said I had a contingency plan on Tavares. So in round eleven, I went Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, for those that have followed me long enough, like Fam McCutcheon, those are like two of my guys. So if I can, if I can put that stability on my roster, I'm there. And then I, I just kept. It, it, it's like a, a Bubba team, which you'd hope it would be, but. I was getting sniped in certain spots, so you know, and there's there's outfield runs, there was a few other runs, but you know, I, I went and got Kimbrel for as many closers that were going off the board. I was happy to see him there in round twelve because with all the instability at closers right now, I'm pretty confident that's his job in Chicago, and he pitched really well in a later last season. So like that, got Chris Bassett, a pitcher I like as my SP four. Mentioned reaching on first base, because I don't think I reached for Reese Hoskins, but um, I, I like him a lot this year, so I, I grabbed Reese. And then the last one in this range here, Jordan Romano, who at the time around 15, I was super pumped on getting. And then Kirby Yates happened today. And so mm -hmm. now I'm not super pumped on that anymore in round <laughs> 15 because, um, you know, going after him, there's not a ton of closers that went right out. Like Greg Holland, I still, I think I might still rather have Jordan Romano than Greg Holland. But um, it, it, there's just a lot of kind of middle tier pitching going on runs. There's a lot of kind of guessing on bullpens going on runs in this 10 to 15 range. And then, uh, I don't know, there's really nothing crazy trend-wise going off the board here. Like seeing Jared Walsh go where he went was kind of surprising to me uh, before guys like Josh Bell, Reese Hoskins, uh, even Christian Walker. Like, I like Jared Walsh, but let's be realistic type stuff. So, yeah, I, I got a, three pitchers, two bats in that realm, and just kind of helped fill, uh, filling out my starting uh, starting lineup. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, for me, I, I was really excited. I got Michael Brantley coming back in the 11th, so really nice batting average. This is kind of a spot where I really want to hone in on batting average in a lot of instances just because it's kind of the last bastion of, of batting average before you get into some more questionable profiles. So I was really excited to get Brantley, and, and Anthony Santander is a guy that's growing on me just because – I think the batting average skills are really solid. I think the power skills are solid. There's growth there. Um, I just, I'm liking more and more what he brings at this point in the draft. You know, it's kind of a unique profile as we kind of, as we get here, it's, it's almost a, it's similar to like an Eddie Rosario profile um, in a lot of ways without necessarily having the same speed. And then I finally dipped in with my third pitcher in round 13. I got Drew Smiley. You know, a little bit of upside, some Ks. I think when he pitches, he'll be really good. It's just a matter of how much he'll pitch. And then David Price has been falling recently, but, you know, he's already said that he plans to pitch this year. There was some video of him pitching. He's working out. So that made me feel a little bit more confident getting him here. 
And I think if he does pitch, he's going to be really good on the Dodgers. Just, you know, I think he's solid for ERA or lower, you know, one, two, five whip or lower uh, on a really good Dodgers team. And I do think that with the year off, he can, he can provide a little bit of volume. Um, you know, he should be well rested. I was hoping to get Ryan Yarborough in round 15, but uh, our nemesis, Rob DiPietro, snagged him. Big before me. I ended up going with Dallas Keuchel, who traditionally wouldn't be that interested in Keuchel, but I think for the team build that I had, just, you know, not really having, you know, a lot of depth. I think that Keuchel brings solid ratios. I mean, the whip is a little, it can be a little questionable, but he always keeps the ERA pretty, pretty solid. Uh, hopefully he can go, you know, he can be one of those uh, those guys that goes deep into games for the White Sox and with with Larusa because he doesn't necessarily have that. Um, you know, I'm just making this up. His third time through the order could be terrible, but as kind of a control guy who relies on those ground balls, um, hopefully he can get deep into games and maybe the K per nine isn't as great, but if he can get me like 150 strikeouts this year, I think that'll be really solid. And then my last, uh, oh, that's actually those are my next five picks. So. You know, an interesting kind of trio of pitchers there um, that I think helped helped make up a little bit in in rotation construction. What I missed out in in, in some depth earlier on. I love the lefty love you're giving there. That's beautiful. Smiley I hadn't even thought matchup. about that, but so you really got to have those matchups in fantasy baseball. Yeah, you know, when so they good. bring the heavy, the lefty, lefty heavy lineup, you got to be ready for that. Yeah, you're all you're all on board. And it reminded me when you mentioned the Yarborough snipe. Before I took Hoskins, I was planning on taking Schwarber, and he got me there. So, yeah, he's a, a crafty little guy. Um, uh, 16 through 20 for me, I went and got Nady Evaldi. Uh, it seems early, but if you look at the pitchers that were left on the board at the time, I actually felt kind of justified taking Nady Evaldi at that point. Um, you know, if you would have told me two months ago I'm taking Nady Evaldi in, in round 16, I would have thought you're crazy. Here we are. He's a guy that uh, he had a sub-4 ERA last year. I'm more realistic, like 4-2-ish ERA. I'll be happy with tons of strikeouts, tons of strikeouts. And it's a Boston rotation that they're going to have to let him pitch. Like they don't have a choice. They, they Their rotation is so bad. He needs to eat innings up. So I, I like the Evaldi. I took Rowdy Telez, who I said earlier in the podcast, I love Rowdy this year. Everything screams, go get Rowdy. And then they signed George Springer, which for now Rowdy's playing first base as long as Vlad Jr. can play third, which – he plays defense at third base as well as Edwin Encarnacion did, and that's why he's got the nickname E5. So keep <laughs> that in mind. Um, and so that's going to be very interesting there. And then um, in round 18, I grabbed Aaron Hicks, and that's a guy that I think is going criminally too low right now. Um, and then maybe I'm in the minority here. But he had a very rough last season. He was injured off and on all of last season. Even when he was playing bad, the Yankees still hit him in prime spots in the early to middle of that batting order. He's going to do it again this year. 20-plus home run upside, decent batting average. If he's in those spots in the order, lots of uh, run production as well. So I like Hicks a lot at this point in the draft, and he'll even throw in some steals. And then uh, I pick 19, and a D.C. positional flexibility is crucial. Uh, so Joey Wendell is a guy that I love in these formats. Three positions he's eligible at. Um, he, he'll, he's he got a little speed and a little bit of pop. He, he's not going to be like an overall stud, but his flexibility is tremendous. He's going to pretty much play every day for the Rays no matter what. Then round 20, a guy I've been finding myself drafting a ton pitching-wise, Spencer Turnbull. Uh, His improvements year after year has been great. He's just like – David Swain tweeted it out the other day. He's a pitch mix change away from being very, very good. So uh, I I like Turnbull quite a bit. Hopefully he takes that next step again this year. But uh, this point of the draft is more about 
kind of getting a little bit of upside, but still some stability for me at this point. So I was pretty pumped with the, these picks. Nice. Yeah, um, for me, you know, my strategy throughout the DCs has been to kind of lean into the uncertainty around closers, so to target them later on in drafts. I started that out with Greg Holland. Seems to have access to the saves in Kansas City, at least to start the year. You know, he did towards the end of last year. I think Kansas City will be a decent team this year in the AL Central. And so uh, I think, you know, you're just going for kind of role there. Uh, I was a little sad that my boy Yuli Gurriel didn't make it to me in the next pick. Rob DiPietro made sure of that. Thanks, Rob. Uh, but I did get Yadi Molina, who was my, my catcher two target there. Again, I, I like the batting average that he provides while not necessarily hurting you in home runs. And he also provides a chunk of stolen bases, you know, which, which is nice um, there. So he's definitely, he's got a sign, but I think more and more the signs kind of point to him, you know, re-signing with the Cardinals um, at this point in time, which I think would be an ideal scenario you know, they know each other well. I think he continues to get the majority of plate appearances, um, which is really nice. Was happy to get Carlos Santana in round 18. You know, he filled uh, a corner infield slot that I needed and, and a little bit of power. You know, early on, you know, I feel pretty good actually throughout the draft, pretty consistent with power. I think like the lowest, let's see, the lowest projection for any of my hitters for home runs. So I have um, Molina at 13 and I do have Jimenez at 13 and wet Merrifield at 16, but no single digit guys. Um, and I just think Carlos Santana, while the average may be slightly problematic, you know, he's going to hit in the middle of that Kansas city order. He's going to play every day. He provides runs in RBI. You know, he's going to have some pop. I think it'll be really nice. Jordan Hicks is a guy that I've found myself drafting quite a few shares of, which I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I do think that he's going to be the closer in St. Louis. Every single time he's been healthy, he's been the closer. Health is obviously an issue, but, you know, two years ago when he was young, he was the closer. He started out in 2019 as the closer before going through Tommy John. Uh, from all indications, he's looked good. Uh, and I think in some mining the news, it sounded like he was going to be the guy if he was ready. And so, I'm going with him there. I also think that there's some later St. Louis Cardinal relief pitcher options that may also get a look at, at at saves if he doesn't go. And so, you know, I didn't mind going there. Maybe a little bit of a mistake. And then Justin Upton in round 20 is a guy that I've gotten pretty consistently when I need power late. You know, he showed really nice flashes of being his former self toward the back end of, of last year. He's now got not a lot of competition in that outfield right now. And he's going to be hitting in a, in a nice little spot in the lineup behind some OBP guys. So excited to add him in there and in, in pick 20. Um, what about the rest of the, the draft for you? Any, any picks that kind of stand out in the next 10 uh, that you wanted to highlight? Um, I was happy to have Hunter Harvey fall to around 23 where, where closers were struggling quite a bit. Um, I liked that. And then just some late, late pitchers that I was taking with Dee Scafani and Stephen Brault. Di Scafani around 28 going to the Giants. I think he's not going to get a Gosman-esque type change, but uh, I like the upside of, you know, leaving Cincinnati can't hurt anybody. So I think in a format like this, I, I like a guy like Di Scafani quite a bit. But other than that, it was just kind of filling in my spots for the most part. Uh, a couple catchers, you know, Luis Arias for batting average assets, uh, little things like a Chad Pender flexibility. Not, nothing too crazy. Then on out, uh, and that's what you're going to see, you know, 15 teams, you know, 50 rounds, you're going to get deep in the player pool. So there's going to be a lot of just kind of taking shots here pretty soon. 
Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting, like the roster construction and how DCs are different than your traditional leagues. I feel like my, I'm pretty consistent. Um, I kind of subscribe. I think I've gotten to the point where I subscribe to the Phil so you know, a form of drafting DCs, which is focus on hitters, you know, um, early and then just pretty much all pitchers later on. So that's kind of what I did. I went for some guys who have access to consistent playing time, some speed, because I think that was a little bit of the weakness, you know, that I had in building my team. So with the JP Crawford, with the Robbie Grossman, I think guys you should see, you know, every day at bats, pretty high up in their respective lineups with a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. Crawford, the, the power is a little bit of a question mark, but, you know, he had 33 runs, I think, in 200 or so played appearances last year at the top of that lineup. And I think that lineup is going to be a little bit better this year. Um, and then, you know, one of the things about, you know, right now and leaning into the uncertainty around closers, I already have Holland and Hicks. I added Jose Leclerc, who appears to be the closer in Texas, and then Chris Martin, who appears to be saving closing chances with Will Smith, you know, in Atlanta. So I have kind of four, four access to save and saves in four spots potentially right there. So kind of going in a bulk approach with the bullpen. Um, I got my first share of Trevor Rogers, who I really liked on the back, the back end of last year, the results weren't pretty, but some of the underlying metrics were fantastic. Two of my favorite late round targets, Miguel Cabrera and, and, and Gregory Polanco, and then adding some depth with Alex Reyes and Keegan Aiken. And now it's just going to be like, throw all your pitchers, you know, against the wall and see, see what sticks for the rest of the way. So how are you feeling generally about like the way your, your squad has, has filled in? Uh, real quick, I wanted to mention uh, Cal Quantrill was a target that I really liked. So that, I like that pick a lot for you. And then Alex mm-hmm. Reyes. Um, and then also Keegan Aiken, literally like an hour before you picked him, I was DMing Alex fast about him. So that was like mm-hmm. creepy. And I was like, what in the world? But uh, yeah, for, for my roster, I really, I, I'm happy with it. Um, every, you know, at this point in the draft, we should all hopefully be happy with our teams. Um, I, I think it's just really balanced. I don't think I have like, if this was an overall, I'd have no chance. I'm very, very aware of that unless everything struck right. But um, I guess the biggest thing I, I could be concerned with, and it could it could bite me in the butt, is I don't have a ton of positional flexibility. I think I have like three or four guys. Um, but in the end, you pray you don't get too many injuries. That's just the way you're going to have to go about it. But I like it quite a bit. Now, like you said, it's just kind of I have a big queue of potential pitchers and then a couple other guys like the bats are just atrocious. And that's why you mentioned the Phil Dusome as the, and it makes so much sense in a 50 round draft. Um, he said like, you can get pitchers that are the fourth or fifth pitcher in a starting rotation. That's going to start every fourth or fifth day. But uh, hitters wise, you're getting like the, you know, platoon outfielders and stuff like those suck at that point in the draft. So <laughs> it's like, you like, you just don't want these things. Like I, I just picked Chad Pender in round 32 you know, that he's projected to start right now because no Marcus Simeon, but we know Chad Pender is. He starts like three days a week, maybe if it's a heavy lefty week. Um, and those are great weeks to play him. But it, do I expect to get a massive year out of Chad Pender? No. But you never know. <laughs> Things can change. So it's just weird. Like I took Brandon Crawford in round 29 because I want his shortstop to plays every day. That's where you're at in this draft. You're looking for every day at bats right about now. Like there's no world I've ever drafted Brandon Crawford in. I'm just, like it was tough to pick, but. I sat down and I'm like, you know what? He's going to play every day. So let's just go. Um, so that's how I feel. How about you? Yeah. I mean, I feel pretty good. I mean, offensively, I feel great. I mean, when I look at the projections for my team, it's one of the better offensive teams I've built. I think um, in terms of goal of 80th percentile, you know, my, my um, batting average is projected at 266. 
The goal is 268. Um, I'm 98% to the 80th uh, percentile goal on runs, 96% of the way uh, on home runs, 103% of the way for RBI, and then 95% for, for stolen bases. So across the board, I feel pretty good about that. I do, I do feel a little weaker than I normally am in hitting depth. And I've got a number of multi-position eligibility guys. So I think that there's flexibility there, or at least a couple that are, that are multi-position eligibility guys. So I feel pretty good about that, but I do feel a little vulnerable on the offensive side in terms of my depth. And then the pitching, I don't feel great about the pitching. I think I, I like the two aces, obviously, to start off with. I like Drew Smiley. I'd prefer him to be a four than a three. So it's kind of like I'm one back in a lot of my pitchers. Like I want my SP3 is my SP4. The guy I'd want for my SP4 is my, you know, or my SP5 is my SP4. So definitely some weaknesses, but feeling generally good. I'd feel worse if it wasn't overall just because of the pitching, you know, the lack, I think, of depth and the reliance on some guys having a little bit of breakouts. But overall, I feel pretty good. It should be a really fun league. I'm I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to see how it all plays out. Yeah, it'll be fun. We'll, we'll recap the end, uh, just kind of final thoughts on it next week when we – we will be done late. We'll probably be – actually um, – Recap all those these for you then. But for now, the favorite segment of the show, listener questions. So we got some good ones this week, and we'll kick it off with our buddy Mike Curlin, Sleepy K. What do you like about Nolan Darvish? This is to you, uh, since you took Nolan Darvish over Castillo, who I took in round two. What do you like over Nolan Darvish in, or with Nolan Darvish over Castillo? Would you tear them together and chalk it up to preference, or is there something that concerns you with Castillo? So how do you differentiate those three? I think the major difference for me is, is the control. Uh, so both, um, both Darvish and Nola, you know, Darvish in particular, since he's developed the cutter, um, has just been phenomenal from a control perspective. I mean, walks had been a little bit of an issue previously, but not anymore. Um, so the whip is always, you always feel like it's going to be uh, pretty respectable when he pitches. So I don't think Darvish and Castillo are in the same, um, you know, in, in the same category for me, at least. No offense, Bubba, to your, to your, um, your SP1. Um, you know, and then with Nola, his control metrics, um, uh, like the walk percentage hasn't been great, I don't think, the last couple years. But when you look under the hood, like the percent of pitches that are balls, he generates a really high chase rate um, and he generates some really uh, poor contact like ground ball rate wise. Castillo does the same, but I think doesn't have necessarily the same control, um, you know, and, and so there, I guess there's been, um, so I guess Nolan Castillo are fairly similar to me. I think Darvish is in a separate tier there, but um, I also didn't have any Nola at all. I, I would definitely always go Nola over Castillo, I think. But, um, yeah, so they're close enough, but but I like Nola more. Yeah, no, it, I, I have Darvish ahead of both of them pretty easy as well. So that's not a, a slight at all. Uh, Nola and Castillo, I agree, are pretty similar. I go Castillo over Nola because I think if the controller improves, which is a big if we have not seen yet, so probably won't. But if it did, his ceiling is so much higher than Nola's. So that's where like, I differentiate, but – you're picking at straws. Like you said, they're so close. You look at the ADP, they're 21 and 24. They're the, the ninth and 10th pitchers off the board 
for a reason. Like they're not that different from each other. So I have no problem with that at all. Literally, if someone takes Castillo and Nola's there, I probably take Nola. Like it was just it was just kind of how the cookies crumbled <laughs> around that loop. There was really that was the next best thing because I wasn't taking Scherzer and I'm just not a Flaherty guy. So it was Castillo or wait for another pitcher, which really sucked. So I wasn't going that route. Um, Dave Petrozello, he asks, in November, I was with you and Bubba and not liking Brandon Lau, where he is going. Upon further review, I've changed my mind, and I took him at pick 68 in a main event satellite yesterday. 30-plus homers at second base and maybe 10 bags and improving contact. He likes it. Um, in the month of January, in draft champions, Brandon Lau is going to pick 75, high of 62, low of 97 or vice versa, however you want to say it. Um, so what are your thoughts on Brandon Lau? Like I pick 68, are you still out on that? Um, yeah, I'm still out on it. I mean, a lot of it is the batting average. I just think there's huge variance in the type of profile that he has. And so I'm not, I'm not really, um, I'm not really interested in it. I mean, the thing is like, yeah, the home pr- home run production could be great, but I can get, you know, 25, 30 home run guys pretty easily, I think, um, you know, throughout the draft. And so I'm not super, super, con- you know, I'm not really focused on that. And then I think, you know, 10, 10 stolen bases, you know, seems a little high. He did have five and 327 plate appearances in 2019 and three in 2020. You know, projection systems project him for about for six. And so I just think that um, I think when you when you strike out as much as he does, you see the inconsistencies that he's had and he doesn't necessarily have that carrying trait necessarily, um, you know, outside of maybe power, which, again, I, I think isn't a carrying trait that I'm really like looking at that closely. And I think the floor for batting average is is fairly low given the volatility in, in his profile. So again, you know, I can definitely see the case to be made for why to draft him. But for me, it's just a profile that, that I don't think is all that, um, you know, is all that, is all that special. And just from, from like a projection, if you put his projection in, into uh, my valuations, he comes out as the 203rd ranked player. Um, and I think that's because the batting average is projected at like t- around 250 and, you know, uh, so yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I still, I still can't stomach it yet. I see the upside maybe in an overall that's great and all satellite, maybe not so much. Um, I, I also don't believe 30 home runs is a regular thing for him. I really don't like he showed the power, but then we saw last year when he slumped, even in the playoffs, like it, it, it hits a wall. Like it's not just like a minor slump. It's, it's bad, so that concerns me at that point in the draft. I'd be a, that, that's where I still steer clear of that, especially when you get an Altuve like you did later in the draft, or you can uh, get a Tommy Edmond. It's like, tell me what's so different about Tommy Edmond and Brandon Lau besides maybe thirty. Like in, in a year where he hits maybe twenty home runs, what's the difference between the two? Like really, and that's where it gets interesting. So something to think about. Um, ben Tan at Breaking Ben underscore T asked Toby, "What are you going to do when Perez Salvi?" Goes back to hitting 235 to 268. Quite the gap there. It's 68. That's a, a professional number there. With 20 homers, like he did his five seasons prior to 2020. Um, if you couldn't tell, he's, uh, I think he's being way overdrafted this year. 
Yeah. What's your thoughts, Toby? Um, I mean, the thing is, if he produces any of the seasons he produced when he's played, I mean, I'm, t- I'm totally happy with that at catcher. I mean, obviously, you're hoping he doesn't hit 235, which is cr- his career low. He's projected at 262, which is probably a bit high, although, you know, when you look at some of the stat cast metrics and stat cast metrics do regress, you know, I mean, his exit velocity – you know, was terrific, barrels, career high. So he's still making that really solid quality of contact. And that 235 came on a 245 BABIP, which just doesn't seem, um, you know, it's it's way below what he's had throughout his career. So, I mean, if he hits 250 and he hits me 25 home runs and he gets me 80 RBIs and 55 stolen, 55 runs from, you know, a the catcher, I mean, I'm I'm totally I'm totally fine with that. Um, if he gets me that, then that means that he'll probably finish the season as a top three catcher. Which you know, again, I'd love for him to hit his ceiling, which I think is there in his projection. Which if he hits that ceiling, according to my valuations, he's um, he ends up being a top twenty-five player. You know, out of everybody, um, that's that's a risk I'm willing to take. I think it's I think he's a yeah, I think it's I, – I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I don't think he's a 235 hitter. You, you said, like, the BABIP and all that goodies, and I'm with you there. Like, And he was also banged up. So uh, I'm going to say he's healthy, and we're ready to rock and roll. You get 20-plus homers, closer to 30, like you said. The, the projections love him. I don't see what's not to love about him. He's young. We talked about it before, like, that year off when he had surgery, that can't be a bad thing for a catcher. Like, it really can't be. So when he's still super young, like, yeah, I'm good with – Salvi is a catcher two off the board any day of the week. Uh, Todd Whitestone asks, question, did Bubba draft too many starting uh, stolen bases and Toby too few? Bubba has 116 stolen bases from eight batters, J-Ram, Baez, Pham, Edmund, Tavares, Kutch, Hicks, Wendell. Toby has 77 stolen bases from Mer- from five guys, Merrifield, Buxton, Jimenez, Bregman, Altuve. Is Toby, Toby more bullish on these five? And he used the steamer projections to get that. Um, so basically, he says, you have five stolen base guys. I have eight stolen base guys. Did I have too many? Do you have too few? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think I might have a little too few, but it's not an overall. So I'm not as concerned. You know, based on on my um, spreadsheet that I have, I'm projected for 117 stolen bases with 123 being the 80th percentile goal. And so I feel pretty good about that. You know, I also drafted J.P. Crawford and uh, Robbie Grossman as two of my uh, early bench guys. And so that makes me, you know, um, feel pretty good about it. I I drafted a lot of guys that while they, you know, uh, there's a couple that have a pretty low stolen base total. But, you know, I have a lot of like Torres, you know, who's a five or six guy, Bregman, who's like a five or six guy, you know, Upton, Brantley. You know, those guys are all projected for about five. And so, you know, I need to look in maybe a little bit more depth to see whether I agree with that projection total. But, you know, with some of those guys hitting it, some of them hitting under, some of them hitting over, I think the potential for Jimenez to go, you know, a good chunk over that if he, if he gets to 600 plate appearances. I think those are, um, you know, those are, uh, you know, I, th- I think I feel okay about it. And I think I've added a little bit to supplement that. And I think there are maybe some guys later on in the draft who may be able to supplement that a little bit more, but I think out of all my offensive categories, I think stolen bases is definitely the weakness. 
Yeah, I might have too many, but part of my plan, as I mentioned here, is when I took Tavares, if he pans out, it's gravy. There's also the concerns. That's why I was still kind of aggressive. Like, if you take the 22 from him out of there, I'm sitting at 94, which now you're kind of more in a realistic pattern there. Um, so that there's kind of the, the caveat there with Tavares. You know, and he, he could be way more than 22. We've talked about that potential too. So I think I'm okay for now. The bright side is it wasn't just all rabbits, so it doesn't really crush me too much in that respect. Um, John Packa asks, at mean guy one thoughts on Jordan Hicks. Is he going too high or too high for the uncertain closer situation? So you took Hicks. You also took Alex Reyes, who I like a lot. Um, so in the bright side of things, there's a couple other options, but you should have one of the two. So that's good. Um, obviously you took Hicks. So do you think it's too high? Um, I, I mean, maybe, maybe um, I, it all depends. You know, I, I think the, 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 the cost, you know, the draft cost at like, I think pick 260 or so, I think is, um, I think that that's fine. I mean, if, if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. But he was good, like in the last season he pitched. Um, you know, the one thing that does concern me a little bit is, is that walks have been an issue and he's coming off with Tommy John. And that's normally kind of the last thing to, um, to come back. But you know, I think the Cardinals situation is a nice situation for me because I think, you know, they've shown confidence in him before they put him in here. There's been some positive quotes coming out. And I think that that's, I don't know, it's a nice place to pitch. You know, the Cardinals always seem to make magic. It's a great ballpark to pitch in. The NL Central is a great division to pitch in, you know, heading into this year. So I think there's a lot of positives, but, you know, when I think about it later on, I mean, the, the challenges at the time, it's like, you don't know who you're, who's going to be available later on. And LeClerc and um, Chris Martin, you know, I, I knew I was going to go after Chris Martin, but I didn't expect LeClerc to be there in the late 300s. And so if I knew he was going to be there, then maybe I wouldn't have gone after Hicks. But I think having four guys that appear to have some sort of access to saves is a good number in these DCs because in the DCs, you don't need to, you know, what you're kind of, the way I'm thinking about it is if, if I get lucky and I hit on a bunch of guys, then I end up with a bunch of saves, right? 60 to 80 to 90 or something like that. If, if, you know, if some of them hit and some of them don't, then I end up in kind of the 30 to 50 range, which is fine in a, in a DC. And then if I don't hit on any of them, well, I, I hopefully should be able to compete still with the way that I construct my teams. Um, and at least I'll have a lot of high skilled relievers later on in the draft that I can kind of plug in there and, and, and that's kind of the breaks. And, you know, and generally that's been kind of my philosophy recently is, is not to get too caught up in um, trying to win the overall in the DC, even though that's a big chunk of it. It's more about like the practice drafting, but then also like trying to win my league. Like that's what I'm focused on. And if I get lucky and I happen to be in that overall competition, you know, then so be it. But saves is probably going to be somewhere where I'm a little, little weak in a lot of my drafts, unless I, unless I get lucky. The, um... The defending champion of the draft champions overall, Rob DiPietro, he said on a recent podcast of his, he wasn't trying to win the overall. He was just trying to win his league for $3,000. He's happy with that. And you know, never, you, you, you know, you catch lightning in a bottle. It's a beautiful thing. Um, at B King 818 asks, NFBC question, looking to try out the solo shot next year. It's a 36-man roster, and fab once a month is the only difference from the main event. How does draft strategy change based on these parameters? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, 
with that with those parameters it's interesting because it's just kind of that in between a dc a draft champion so 50 50 player draft and hold and and kind of your normal nfbc roster of just having seven bench spots no ir i think the major difference is you know you have fab once a month so instead of maybe looking on a week-to-week basis for fab you maybe want to do a little bit more of a month month level analysis of schedule like how does this pitcher seem to be lining up how do the hitting matchups within this this given month maybe piecing together like some ideas like maybe a certain team or a certain player you know that you can stream for the first two weeks and then the second two weeks you know another guy so thinking about those types of strategy but then also just making sure that you have depth at each one of the positions you know um, because you have a deeper bench, you're allowed to do that, but you want to make sure you have at least you know, two, if not three guys that you, you can plug into that position, to each position and feel pretty good about. So I think those are the major changes. I'm sure there's things that I'm not realizing that I'll kind of realize as the competition gets going. Um, but for me, that, that's kind of it. It is nice. It is a little bit refreshing to not have to do that, that fab in depth on a weekly basis. So um, as usual on FBC, providing some some nice products there. So I think the biggest thing is just the way that you build your bench and the strategy that goes into that, knowing that you, that you that you don't have weekly fab, that you got to hold on to these guys for a month. Yeah, there's that. So like the position flexibility helps out a ton. Like kind of similar to the DC idea. Um, and can you imagine though doing that fab once a month? So the amount of people you're bidding on and the different price points that you're used to playing, like that. I, it's nice to only do it once a month, but that mm-hmm. one Saturday night would be wild it's to try to figure that out it's kind of the cut lines what twice a twice a season or something and you guys you got guys going for like 600 bucks and stuff like that it gets wild so yeah it'd be cool absolutely yeah maybe 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 it won't be as nice as you think it will because you'll spend so much damn time that one that one day on top of all the other fabs you're doing you almost have to kind of pick at it as you we go up to a type deal um aaron r asks saw you drafted glaber torres who has second base eligibility on some sites, which is super intriguing. Could you go under the hood and explain some of the underlying metrics on why you like him? Thanks. Love the show. Yeah. I mean, I think with Torres, I I think the example, I mean, number one, like the projection, you know, um, so steamer has him at 269, uh, 32 home runs, 87 runs, 96 RBI and six stolen bases, which is very solid. Puts him about 65th. Um, on my spreadsheet in terms of valuation. So when he falls a little bit, then I, then I go after him. Um, he's always been a good hitter when he's played outside of last year, but even last year, you know, when you include, you know, in the postseason, again, very small sample size, but you know, he hit 435, two home runs, five RBI, five uh, runs, two stolen bases. He improved in a lot of like skill metrics. His O swing was improved his contact stayed the same. You know, I know that there was some talk about like, well, maybe he wasn't as aggressive as he normally would, but I like it when guys are switching, swinging on pitches at the plate. There was a little bit of regression, like in the, in the, or a little bit of a dip in his hard hit rate, but max exit velocity was the highest of his career. You know, so we only hit 108 batted balls. His average exit velocity was right in line with where it normally is. He didn't get a bunch of barrels, um, but you know, his ground ball rate went up slightly, but just around to league average. So, you know, again, I think he's an example where we know he was injured, you know, he's a very good hitter. He's still young. There's no reason to believe that he can't continue to hit. And you're getting essentially a three round discount from last year for exactly the same player 
I think with maybe just a, a very small sample size of, of poor hitting. So I, I think I, I'm not concerned at all about Glaber. I think he's one of, I think he's a guy that kind of falls into, into me into this bucket of he's a good hitter. He's like a really good hitter. I'm not too worried about him doing poorly and he contributes a little everywhere. Um, so that's how I feel. I don't know about you, Bubba. I'm, I've been torn on him. He's a guy that last year I didn't want at all. So that panned out pretty well for me, but part of it was price point last year. And he's obviously going at a better price point this year. So that helps out a lot. So it kind of factors in if he does struggle a bit, you didn't pay a premium for him. Um, I do believe he's a better hitter than he was last year. I remember watching some of these guys on MLB network breaking down a swing and everything. And, and it's something that I would love to have the time to dive in on. So we talked about it at other positions, how it appears like just looking at Savant and everything, like they're less aggressive. And then there's this and that, like and you see the, the the drop in production. And there was a really good article on Pitcher List about Joey Gallo. And I, please forgive me. I forgot who wrote it, but it was a phenomenal article. And he goes into the fact that Joey Gallo has actually improved his strikeout rate. And um, I believe it was walk rate. He's chasing less. And he's like swinging and misses, like all these things. Each year, it's gotten better and better. But his power decreased this last year. And he started breaking down um, the zones and the the sluggings in the zones. The what was like all these different things that some of these guys are meant to chase a little more. Like they need to keep aggressiveness, and they showed that with Gabriel Torres last year. On the, I think it was like Derosa and Ripken, and then were breaking it down. And he was laying off pretty much everything from the like not the belly button, but almost in between. the the belly button and the chest up. Like he wasn't going completely on letters, but anything kind of up in his own, he's just laying off. And you think about a guy with a short porch, he's kind of pokes it the opposite way, the home runs. He gets all these, all these little minor tweaks. Um, he could have been hurt. There could have been a lot of things that just prevented him from doing it. So if he becomes the hitter he was before, it's a great pick. If he made a fundamental change, and he's not willing to change back. We'll see how it goes, but he's a young player and worst comes to worst. He's in the Yankees lineup. Like that's always a prop, a, a promising thing. A great price tag. Uh, I, I don't, I don't mind it anymore. Last year, I want nothing to do with it. This year, I'm cool with it. At, at where you got him at for sure. Marshall Witzberger asks, "Would you draft Cindergard, Severino, or Sale in a draft champions or a best ball?" And this is a great question because I've sat there staring at names and think to myself, "Hmm, like is this?" Is this something, you know, 50 rounds? Could I hold on to him till later? Syndergaard is the only one I've seen a lot of positive news on coming back in a couple months. Sale, a little bit of news. What's your takes on drafting those kind of guys? Because part of me, it's like you now have a 49-man roster for a while. But you know if they come back and give you even 100 innings, it could be premium. Yeah, I don't I don't have any of any three of them. So I can't tell you that I would draft them. Um, yeah, I'm just not, I'm not interested. I'm much more like, I guess I'm risk adverse in a DC because you think, oh, I have 50 players. That's a lot of spots, but with injuries and attrition just throughout a season, you know, you're, you're, you're probably your last 15 rounds, you probably have a 25% hit rate, you know? And so it's just, it gets a lot smaller, your rosters than you anticipate that they will pretty quickly. And so for me, um, you know, yeah, I, I don't want to, especially at those rounds where you're really trying to get either plate appearances or innings pitched or, you know, maybe a, a save guess, a save Sabbath, some saves. 
I don't want to waste it on on something that I won't necessarily get. But I'm also like fairly risk adverse when it comes to drafting. So yeah, and um, I'm pulling up the the January ADPs, and you just gotta think about it where these guys are going off the board right now. And um, like Cindergard is going, I pick three sixty six. Right, like Chris Martin, you took right there. Uh, a couple guys in that range. You got Severino. He's going at 384, um, right around Michael Lorenzen, Dylan Cease. And then Chris Sale, he's going at 246. Ryan Yarborough, Jordan Hicks, Greg Holland. It, you're still paying a decent price. Like 360 doesn't sound like much, but in the D.C. it is because those pitchers you mentioned that are, have stable jobs, plus there's bats around there I didn't even look at because I was on the pitchers page. So it you are sacrificing, like you mentioned, like the last 15 picks or so those are like the break glass in case of emergency picks for the most part. Like you really don't want to have to rely on those picks if you don't have to, maybe for like a a week here or there, but not overall. So it makes it tough. Like I don't have them rostered any best balls. I've done like six or seven best balls. I've done an MSBC 50 and now I've done this. I have none of them. So it's, it's, it's tricky, but that'll wrap us up this week. Toby, any final thoughts with the questions, the draft, anything? No, I mean, it's been really fun. Thanks again to Zach um, for pulling that together. It, it's been great. And I mean, we're, we're getting close here. I mean, we're, we're close to, uh, to spring training, like less than a month to spring training. It sounds, seems like we're going to get 162 games, knock on wood. So, you know, it's, it's going to be here before we know it. And it's exciting to kind of see the draft board starting to reflect, I think, which something that's closer to reality, especially as players sign and, you get kind of that movie, that movement up and down draft boards. Yeah, I figured late January, early February, we'll start getting the hot stuff really cranking up, going into spring training. We're starting to get there. Um, and it feels like there's been like no official announcement of the of talks, but they've been kind of hinting at the rule changes and this and that. So it feels like behind the scenes, they're, they're maybe doing something that, like, that's probably impossible with baseball because they don't do that. But it feels like they're at least throwing flyers out now to get it ready. So that's a good thing. Like you said, full season would be amazing. I'd be just shocked with that. That'd be so cool. But uh, regardless, you know, imagine that 162 games. I'd be so jacked. And then if all things go well, maybe we can go watch a game in like August. Like, like, like you know, I like know. Hold, hold out hope. Just hold out hope. You know, you, n- you never know. But uh, Bubba, Bubba in the ball, Bubba in the bat flip from the ballpark. You know, oh, that'd, like, that'd be cool. outstanding. I'm in. Uh, I'm in. Let's do it. Let's do it. Bleach your seats. I don't care. I'll sit. Uh-huh. I'll. I'll watch through the archway outside the stadium. Let's go. Um, you know, I've, I've never been to um to whatever it's no. called an Oracle. I've never. You've never been to I've Oracle. Been. Oh, yeah, man. yeah. Because it, it was a new stadium when I was younger, and we always used to go to the uh, Oakland Coliseum because of um because my dad was a big Red Sox fan, and so whenever the Red Sox would be in town, we'd come in. Um, and watch the games then. And so we really didn't. I used to go to Candlestick back in Candlestick the day. Was, you know, that's an experience. We, oh yeah, like um, gosh, yeah. And then uh, you know, when the good the good Giants teams with Will the Thrill and Kevin mm-hmm. Mitchell and early Barry Bonds, you know, um, those types of games. So yeah, that would be that would be it'll be a lot of fun to be able to go those and take the kids to them too. You know, my kiddos haven't been really to to any games yet, so. Yep. One of these days. We're getting closer to normalcy. That's the, the right side of it all. Let's just keep plugging along, and we're almost there. But uh, you can check out Toby on Twitter, at BatFlipCrazy. I'm on Twitter, at BDNTrick. And uh, we'll be back with you guys next Tuesday. Some more draft recap questions and 
who knows what else, but we'll be talking fantasy baseball. So you guys have a good one. Catch you later.